Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today, whether you're here in the room with us or also watching online. Um, it's great to see you today. My name is Steve. For um, anyone who I've not met before, um, I'm part of the team here at Foundry Community Church. So the question that we've just been asking there is, uh, what things distract you the most? So let's hear it. Any answers? Alarms distract you. Okay. Phone, crying babies. Video games. Did somebody say people over there before? People. Sorry, what was that, Linda? Everything. Everything distracts you, yeah. The cold distracts you, yeah. Any, any other answers? I can hear a few things, but I can't actually hear what it is. Here's, um, here's a few things that distract me. Um, my to-do list. I often find that I'm trying to do something or I need to do something and then I'm distracted by a list of things that I need to do. So I'm often sending myself email reminders, just emails to myself um, about things that I need to do. Um, notifications on my phone. I think somebody said their phone before. Um, I get really distracted by what the neighbours are doing. Anybody else with me on that? Like I, where, Often where I work from home, I'm looking out over the front of the house. And so I just find myself easily distracted by what they're up to. Um, not like in their homes, but I mean like when they're outside. I'm not kind of, the, anyway. Um, I get uh, distracted by all things football. Um, I'm constantly, like this week was transfer deadline day. And all day I was distracted by what was going on. Um, not I'm not going to talk about football today anymore. Um, because there will be those that don't want me to mention what happened yesterday. But anyway, um, hunger. Anybody else get distracted by hunger? Like when you're feeling hungry. There is so much, isn't there, in life that is vying for our attention. I wonder if we kind of put a, a slight slant on that question, if I added this onto the end. What things distract you the most from praying? What things distract you the most from praying. Um, and I think, uh, for me, it's probably like all of those things as well. Um, but some other things like sleep can distract me from praying. Like if I perhaps choose to pray at nighttime and fall asleep, that's a distraction. Or in the morning, I kind of maybe think, oh, I'll get up and pray a bit earlier today, but then I decide to sleep. Uh, overactive mind. It could be family members that like need you. Um, it could be, uh, we talked about tech, it could be existing routines that you have, like so many different things that can distract us from prayer, right? Anyone else struggle with distractions when it comes to prayer, when it comes to praying? Like have a little look around just so you know you're not on your own, okay? There are a few of us, right? We're not on our own today. Here's some encouragement from a um, Catholic monk called Thomas Keating. He says this, he says, if your mind gets distracted 10,000 times in 20 minutes of prayer, it's 10,000 opportunities to return to God. I am more of a glass half empty kind of person, a bit of a pessimist at times, but I loved like the optimism in that statement. I loved the grace in that statement that if you get distracted 10,000 times, well, guess what? It's just 10,000 times more for you to come back to God. And as we're looking in this series, we're looking at rhythms, these rhythms that are regular patterns for connecting with God. And one of the things that we talked about in week one is that when it comes to these rhythms, it's important to remember that there is grace, 
there is grace. And so as we talk about the rhythm of prayer last week and this week, like there is so much opportunity for us all to look at our prayer lives and probably think, well, it hasn't been that great or, you know, I've not really been that good at it or I get distracted easily. But like there's grace today to just think I'm going to come back to God in prayer. Last week, um, Lois looked with us on the rhythm of prayer and she said this, she said, we can get so caught up in making sure we pray the right prayers that we never actually pray at all. But Jesus shows us that our prayers don't need to be right, they need to be real. Our prayers don't need to be right, they need to be real. This week, um, we're going to talk and look at how, you know, we've already talked about distraction and how easily we can get distracted when it comes to praying, but how Jesus gave us this framework to help with this problem. And it shows us, when we'll look at it together in a moment, that we pray with purpose when God is at the center. We pray with purpose when God is at the center. Just something, a, a little bit about me. Um, if, if you wouldn't mind me just sharing a bit about me. Um, here's some things about my personality or my character. I love structure. I love strategy. I love formulas. Um, and I love having a plan. So some of you might be thinking, yeah, that's me. Others of you might be thinking, like, that is absolutely not me. But let me tell you, I think that Jesus loves those things too. Okay, I think he does as well. And the reason why I think that is because of what we're going to look at together this morning called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Who grew up praying, um, hands up, who grew up praying the Lord's Prayer in school or maybe in church? Okay, a lot of us grew up praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, probably, I think, there's a chance that the Lord's Prayer might be the most spoken words, set of, set of words in history, if you think about it. So many people over centuries have been praying the Lord's Prayer, whether that's in the original language that Jesus shared in an Aramaic, whether that's in various languages throughout the world, in our language in English, maybe it's in Old English, as you might have learnt it with the vows and the arts, but like it is something that has been prayed by countless people. The Lord's Prayer was given to us by Jesus, and I think it's um, an incredible framework, actually. And I think it is the key to unlocking the riches of prayer. But I think that it's actually an untapped resource because I think there's been a problem with the Lord's Prayer, or at least there has for me in my life. I won't speak that over you, but I think the problem with the Lord's Prayer is that actually, for many of us, we've become too familiar with it. And so when we hear it or when we recite it, there's not this kind of heart connection between us and God going on. And so I want to look at this today, and I want to look at how I think it helps us to be less distracted in prayer when we use the Lord's Prayer, and how we can then pray with purpose, because it's such a gift that God gave us. And like I say, you have likely learned the Lord's Prayer at some point in your life in a particular translation or a particular version. I'm going to read it to us today from something called the New Living Translation, and it's going to come up on the screen so you can follow along with me. It says this, it says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need 
and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer can really helpfully um, actually be divided into two sections. Two sections of three, so six different requests altogether that are split into two sections of three. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is really centered on God. Did I get the maths right there when I said that out loud? Two sections of two, sorry. Two sections of three, yeah. Two se- whatever, you know what I mean, right? We'll get to it in a moment. I think that was right. Two sections of three, yeah? You with me on that? Two sections of three. Yeah, okay. Um, the first section is really around... I saw a lot of blank faces looking at me, so I thought I'd better just clarify it. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is really centered on God. And then the second half is centered on our reliance upon God. And what we find when we use this framework that Jesus gave us is that we pray with purpose when God is at the center. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just briefly break down these six different requests and look at how we can use them in our own prayer lives really as a springboard into praying with purpose. The first part, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. There's this beginning of the Lord's Prayer, which is really about having a personal connection with God. This title is the word Father, which in the original Aramaic that Jesus spoke would have been the word Abba, which I think has no link to the band whatsoever. But the word Abba, in if you kind of translate it into what we would say today, really is the name Daddy. And so when we're praying the Lord's Prayer, it's all about this personal connection with our Father in heaven. It's this warmth and it's this intimacy that we can have with God. The word um, Father as it's used here is really kind of the way that a child might use it and say it when they feel um, safe in the security of a father's loving care. I know that with my children, they just about still use this word daddy, but it's sort of slowly but surely developing to becoming dad. And I think that there's this kind of reflection in life that when it becomes dad, it's because they're becoming a bit more independent, right? And I think that this name, father, when we come to our father in heaven, it's about our dependence upon our father in heaven. It's about this, it's kind of, there's two sides to it really. There's this deeply personal, but also there's this majestic connection that we can have with our Father in heaven. And actually, like so often in prayer, what we can do is we can skip past this first part without really reminding our hearts about this connection that we have with our Father in heaven. And then you get this first request, may your name be kept holy. And so we're making this declaration of who God is, and it's both this act of worship and declaring like how amazing it is to come into this conversation with our Father in heaven, but also it's a reminder to our souls about who we are talking to. And so really that kind of frames what we're about to come to in the rest of the requests. Then it goes on, to say, we've got the next two requests here. May your kingdom come soon 
and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's another reminder about who we are praying to. And it's a declaration for our lives to reflect God's kingdom and his values. And so we're praying this essentially. We're saying that we want God's kingdom to shape our thoughts and our desires. We're praying that we want God's purpose to be fulfilled in our lives. And when you think about that, that's actually a really bold thing to do. Because what we're saying is we're putting aside our purposes, our will, our desires, and we're saying, God, what might you have for my life? And it often doesn't look the way that maybe we expect it to, right? There's a man called Richard Foster, and he's written a book called Celebration of Disciplines. And he says this, he says, in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. And this is really how we pray with purpose. Because what we're doing when we pray this is we're declaring that we're lining up our lives with God's purposes. And so it's really important that we don't skip over this first half of the Lord's prayer. Because it helps us to avoid our selfish prayers that we can so often spend our time praying. God, will you do this? Will you meet this need in the way that I want you to meet this need? God, will you give me this because I really think I need this. God, I'm going to marry this person, so make it happen. And I'm so glad that God didn't answer that the many times that I prayed it um, in my younger years, and that he actually finally answered it for Ruth, right? Because the amount of random people that I thought I was going to marry, um, when I told God in my prayers, but praise God, he didn't answer those prayers. God, this is how I am going to start a family, and this is when I want it all to happen by God, help me to achieve this in life because I would really like to graduate from this university and then go on to earn this living. And forgive me if you've heard this before, but like my prayer as a 16, 17 year old was God, like I'm going to Southampton University. God, I'm going to be a sports journalist and I'm going to work for BBC Sports. So thank you for wrapping that one all up for me, God. But then what happened is something in my prayer life changed and I began to ask God, God, what's your will? God, what's your purposes? God, what are your desires for my life? And then he said, well, why don't you Google Christian gap years? And then I found this church, which at the time was called Church at the Foundry. Like, how cool is that? Using the at symbol in the church name. Um, and I found this place called Witness. Never heard of Witness before, but I am so grateful that I began to pray God's will for my life, not my will over my life. Because I wouldn't have met all of you wonderful people if it wasn't for that, right? When our prayers are centered on God, it changes the things that we talk to God about. The things that we talk to God about shift from selfish desires to God's desires. And we begin to see things from his point of view. And we learn his will for our lives. 
And then after this, we go into the next three requests in the Lord's Prayer. And these next three requests, when we've prayed the first half, begin to look and sound a bit different. And so we get this first one, give us today the food we need. Maybe you're familiar with another version that might say something like, give us this day our daily bread. And so the food, the bread, it really literally represents like food in our lives. We need that provision in our lives, but it represents so much more than that. It represents God's provision in our lives. If you go back to like the beginning of the Bible, um, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, there's a story in there about the Israelites and the Israelites were wandering around the desert. And what happened is that they had no provision, but God provided for them and he provided for them the manna and the quail, this daily provision. And they had to be fully dependent on God for this provision. And remembering God's provision helps to remind us to depend on him. And so when we pray, give us today the food we need, it's a reminder to our hearts that we need God's daily provision in our lives. But here's what I love about this line in the Lord's Prayer. I think it's actually about so much more than perhaps we often have ever had, uh, kind of got our minds around. Because if we're going to pray, give us today the food we need. We're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for our community. We're praying for the society that we live in. And there's a, a theologian called Martin Luther, and he lived um, back in the 16th and 15th century. And he um, said this. He said, well, he talked about how for everyone to get their daily bread, then there needs to be a thriving economy. There needs to be good employment. And there needs to be a just society in place. So to pray, give us today the food we need, is to pray against exploitation in business and trade and labor. It's to pray against those that are actively seeking to crush the poor and to deprive them of their daily bread, whether that's the systems or the governments. And like, I'll be honest, I've never really thought about this dynamic to this line in the Lord's Prayer, but it's so true. If we're going to pray this prayer, give us today the food we need, then what we're praying is we're praying for our community. We're praying for God's provision upon our community. And then suddenly we'll begin to pray for injustices that are going on in our community that God will provide in this area and that area. And so it acts as this springboard into praying in that way. And I love that there's that dynamic to the Lord's Prayer. And then it says this, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I'm not going to spend too much time on that one because actually next week Lois is going to talk to us about the rhythm of forgiveness. So if there's unforgiveness in your life, don't worry about it. You've got a week to get it sorted. Um, but really what's happening in the Lord's Prayer here is Jesus is talking about our um, kind of daily dependence on him for our forgiveness, and also this dependence to make sure that we are forgiving with others, that we are a forgiving community. And our ability to forgive others is proof that we have encountered a loving and forgiving God ourselves. And then the, the last request of the Lord's Prayer, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
This is this kind of daily reminder that we all need in our prayer lives, in our lives, of the battle that we are in, of the daily temptations that come our way. But as we pray for the temptations that we're facing, we've already prayed to our Father in heaven. And so we've reminded ourselves that we're not kind of praying about these temptations without any kind of victory in our lives. We're praying about these temptations because we're coming to our Father in heaven who has already defeated and conquered death and sin. And so we can bring our temptations to our Father in heaven and we can say, God, I'm struggling, but like, I really need your help with this. And we can come in prayer in a victorious place if we've already reminded ourselves of our Father in heaven. If we've already reminded ourselves of our Savior who went to the cross to die for our sins. That's the kind of the power that we have, if you will, when we come to God in prayer. And we ask him, God, help us against temptation. Also, will you rescue us from the evil one? You know, the enemy is at work at times in our lives. We can see him at work, his tactics. He's come to steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give life. Jesus came in order that we can be rescued from the enemy's tactics. And so when we pray through this and we bring our struggles before God, we're doing it in a place of victory, not in a place of defeat. We're doing it with eyes of faith that we can see that Jesus has the power to overcome our struggles. And again, it's not just about praying for our own private struggles, but it's about praying for our families. It's about praying for our communities that we are in. And we are reliant upon Jesus's victory and his freedom. And that is how we pray with purpose when God is at the center of our prayers. So I think the Lord's Prayer is really helpful because I think there are many of us, as we've seen before, who are easily distracted in prayer. Maybe sometimes we're selfish in the requests that we bring before God. Maybe some of us are guilty of blabbering in prayer or waffling in prayer and just losing focus in our prayers. Maybe we avoid praying altogether. Maybe we just don't know how to pray. Uh, you, maybe you're just new to this whole thing of faith and you don't know how to pray. Well, Jesus has given us this amazing framework to show us how to pray. And that when we pray, your name be kept holy and your kingdom come. We are praying for God's love to progress in our community, in society, in all of our relationships. And when we say your will be done, we're accepting his way of doing things. And that what we experience in life, it might be very different to what we thought might happen. But God's way is always the best way. And then our requests for God's provision and forgiveness and his protection become less self-centered and more centered on what God has done, is doing and will do. Our vision as a church is to be helping our community. And I believe that if we really engage in praying like this, we'll see a difference in our community because we'll be praying for things that God wants us to pray for in our community, in our church community, in the communities that we live in. I think the Lord's Prayer really helps just to give us this discipline to bring every part of our lives before God.
And so I've got a challenge. I've got a challenge if you choose to accept. And the challenge is really simple. Why don't you try this week to pray the Lord's Prayer together in your connect group? Why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer with perhaps a, a couple of friends together? Why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer with maybe your housemates? Why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer with your, your spouse or pray it with your children? Why don't you make it this daily rhythm in your life? Because I believe it will become a launch pad for prayer. I think the Lord's Prayer is a grounding from distraction. And it ultimately is a time for connection with God. But maybe like me, you've become a bit too familiar with the kind of version of the Lord's Prayer that you learned growing up. And so here's the challenge to you. Why don't you shake it up a bit and use a different version, read a different translation. And in the blog that comes out um, later today, and it's on our website as well, there's a couple of links to some different versions that you might find helpful. Um, but also, um, we've got a printout here of the Lord's Prayer from the Message version, which is available to anyone who wants it on the way out. I think Lois is going to be on the door on the way out. And so if you'd like a copy of that, then why not take it with you? I'm going to read it to us together now. Um, and let, just let these words, like, I'm going to pray over us as a community. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. There's a, a man called Rich Philodus, and um, he said this about prayer. He said, prayer is about slowing down to allow Jesus to form us into his image. And I believe that if as a community we can really put this rhythm of prayer into our lives, if we can remember that it's not about being right, it's about being real before God. And that we pray with purpose when God is at the center. Then it's going to form us into looking more like Jesus. And our community needs us to represent Jesus. Our community needs us to reflect his love. Our community needs us to reflect his forgiveness. Our community needs us to reflect his compassion, his justice. Like we need to reflect Jesus in our community. That's how we'll help our community. So let's become a praying community. I know some of you already are. That's great. Keep on going. But like together, why don't we cheer each other on? and become this praying community. I wonder if we could just stand, and I wonder if we could actually just read this together from the message version. Our leaders in it, and if you would like to today, then you can pray this prayer out today. Let's start this challenge and this commitment as a community together today, here in the room and online. If we could have the words again, that's great, thank you. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. 
Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks, Tom.